Hello, lovelies. Like many of you, I'm sure you've spent some time thinking about evil. What is evil? Where does all this evil in the world actually come from? (laughs) I mean, it's all around us. (laughs) Let's just start with a small one, the genocide of humanity. Pick a day. Let's talk Ohio. So apparently because of this train crash that couldn't be predicted except there was a movie made about it a year ago, there is this quote-unquote scent in the air that is quote-unquote safe and possibly effective, for all I know, except for the fact that chickens and pets are dying. But don't look up, folks. Every week there is some kind of action against humanity. I mean, we seriously have a situation where doctors destroy health, lawyers destroy justice, universities destroy knowledge, governments destroy freedom, the press destroys information, and religion destroys the spirit and our morals. I mean, we've all heard that quote, right? (laughs) It's like, oh my God, people, please. Point me to one place that isn't entirely corrupt. In fact, if you dig deep enough into anything, there was this whole Twitter thing that went off in the knitting community. Like, whoa. (laughs) If there's any community that you'd think that there wouldn't be controversy, you'd think it's the knitting community. But no, even when you dig down into the knitting community, and don't even ask me how I found this, but the knitting community was corrupt and evil as well. So how is that? Isn't that just insane, right? It's just insane. (gasps) Because there's so much evil. It's mind-blowing. And look, I've been wanting to do a party on evil for a really long time. And so I've been, you know, Googling evil and trying to find some scholarly kind of assessment on the situation. And I got super frustrated because when you type in evil, what is evil and that kind of stuff, all you get back is Bible stuff. And um, I'm not a big fan of Bible stuff, to be honest with you. And so I found the whole situation really frustrating because it's like, all right, stop with this God and the snake. And and then along comes Polly. <laughs> and um, Polly's kicking ass lately. And just between you and I, do not... Piss Polly off because, whoa. But anyway, Polly comes along and gives the best definition for evil from the Bible, nonetheless. And she brings it home. So that's it. It's done. And uh, I'm posting it here for you. (sighs) It's very good. 
and it's Polly talking about the difference between truth and reality and how evil fits into that equation. And I hope you enjoy it. Truth and reality are not the same thing. Truth is eternal, but often cannot be found, at least not outside of individual experience. And that's where this feeling of living in a different reality from everybody else comes in. But I think a more productive way of looking at it is reality is full of lies. And you want the truth. So what feels like living in a different reality is actually just the pain of you knowing you're living in a reality of lies. You see what I'm saying? Reality is the soup we all live in. Whatever is happening outside of ourselves. And it's almost never based in truth. Almost never. It's always based on narratives narratives i've said a million times the narrative is everything isn't it because the narrative gives you an a sense of inevitability and the narrative if it's powerful enough can coerce people to live into it so that it eventually it becomes quote reality but is it the truth probably not so the way that reality is constructed is through history. It's through time and calendars. And if you can believe it or not, there's been many, many incidents throughout recorded history where the calendars have been blown sky high. I mean, we had all of a sudden the Julian calendar imposed, they say, by Julius Caesar, but guess what? It might not have been. The Julian calendar might have come into existence like a hundred years after Julius Caesar died. So there's one, one of many. And then we had the uh, Gregorian calendar in which they just subtracted 11 days from the year, causing, they say, a peasant revolt because they thought 11 days were actually going to go missing from their lives. Like, look, I don't know if that's true or not, but... The story of all of that created the reality that we live in. And there's so many more. During the French Revolution, they made the week change from seven days to ten days. Every single day of the year had a different name. And I could go on. So, yeah, that just shows you how badly reality, what we think is reality, can be messed with. There's that. There's language in modern day reality, and probably throughout the entire course of history, what those who seek to cause chaos have done is they've redefined words or they've banned words. But words, no doubt, help to create our reality. And then, of course, there's there's other things. There's laws which shape our reality, rules which shape our reality, science which shapes our reality, traditions which shape our reality, and everything I've just listed there is subject to change on a whim. Some things take a little more effort than others to change, but they all change. And with them, 
reality changes. What does any of this have to do with truth? Zero. Zero so far. And I would say totalitarianism is the attempt to force everyone to agree on <clears throat> quote-unquote truth in order to shape reality, right? And totalitarianism will seek to not only invade the outside world and change quote-unquote reality, the soup, the external thing, but it also wants to change it inside of the person. The sacred space of our bodies and our minds and our memories. Totalitarians want to control that space so that everybody's in agreement as deeply inside a person as they can get. There is a, I don't know what he was really, a writer, philosopher in Britain, and he was talking about communism and propaganda. And he said that the purpose of propaganda was not so much to shape perception as it was to humiliate. They would put out some lie, and the test was whether or not you would agree with it, and whether or not you would start talking about it as if it was true. This was a very painful thing because they had to choose between your integrity, which is talking truth, or lying in order to get get by in society. And so if you chose if you chose the lie, that was humiliating. But the key thing that I want to talk about with regards to that statement by Dalrymple is what it does to a person. If you repeat a lie, then you are humiliated. And if you're humiliated, you feel shame. And if you feel shame, then that leads to secrets. When you have secrets, of course, you have to lie more to cover up the secrets. And lies create liars. And liars perpetuate evil. Evil creates more propaganda so that it can rope in the next batch and on the cycle goes. So where is truth in this? The truth is nowhere. But the reality which all of these lies create is everywhere. Reality and the truth divorced from one another. Now this is a bit of an... Uh, for me personally, I, I run a lot of things through the filter of the Bible. Particularly the story of Adam and Eve and the snake, the serpent, and the tree, which tempts Eve to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when he's tempting her, of course, he says, why, why don't you eat from it? And Eve says, well, it's forbidden, and we would surely die. And this serpent says to Eve, well, you won't die. Just try it. And, of course, he tells her if she tries it, she will become as God. Because she will know good and evil. So she does, and then she goes and she doesn't die, and she goes over to Adam and she gets him to do it and all this stuff. And the reason I like to pass so many things 
through this story in my mind is because I try to figure out where evil came from in that scenario. Did it come from the snake? Did it come from Eve? Did it come from the apple itself? Did it come from the fact that there was a rule in the first place? There's a lot of puzzling questions in there. All worthy of their own video, but the point I want to make here is that what the snake did was he promised false promises. They didn't end up like God's at all. He he cajoled. He slithered in through deceptive words and misleading. And Eve gave in because he tempted her and he lied to her. And his sweet words sounded so good. And she didn't see the harm it would do. And from then on, reality changed. Truth never changed. But reality changed. And what happened? Eve and Adam became ashamed. They were humiliated. They wanted to keep their sin secret. And to me, that's the bottom line lesson of that book. Well, that part of the book of the Bible is that Yes, evil is in the world, but it has no effect on the world until a person chooses with their free will to give in to temptation. Okay, might seem like I'm getting pretty far away from the whole uh, truth and reality aren't the same thing topic that I started with. But I, I it's, it, it's going to come around, so give me a minute. <clears throat> In my opinion, evil is a real and active, intentional force, but it can't come into the world without a human host. And some say, this is a really base juvenile level take when we, when we ponder the nature of evil. You got to go deeper. Everybody knows free will, the free will argument, but why did God equip Eve and Adam and every one of us with the uh, ability to be tempted in the first place. Like, look, I just don't think it's so, it's so hard to figure out. You can't have freedom if you aren't aware of your choices. If, if God hadn't imbued Eve with the possibility, with the ability to defy him, then she wouldn't have free will. And some of the people like making commentary against Christianity say that the God in Genesis can't be the real God because why would he want to keep the knowledge of good and evil away from people? And I say, maybe you're looking at it wrong. Maybe the knowledge of good and evil means that you experience good and you experience evil. But had you not chosen to dis defy him, then you wouldn't experience evil. So to me, the people who ask this question, they seem to think that, that Adam and Eve were like kept like uh, slaves by this God of the Old Testament, simply for the fact that he made this one rule about this one thing. But I see it differently. I see it as there having to be one rule, at least in order for anybody to know they were free. If there was no rules, no fences, no resistance, everything was provided for somebody, how do they know they're free? 
there has to be something you can't have in order for you to be able to appreciate what you have. When you think about the ultimate trick of the serpent, it was this. He said and convinced them that they were not free so long as they obeyed the rule. Put that another way. The only way you will be free is if you disobey. Satan set up such a perfect little mind trap there. So Adam and Eve's reality changed when the serpent opened his mouth and spoke these lies and false promises. Their reality changed, but the truth didn't. And the truth was, you are free within limitations. What's the limitation? Do the right thing. Do the right thing. If you keep doing the right thing, then you are more free than if you just rebelliously try to do everything. And that same truth still exists there, right underneath the tree. Layers upon layers of fallen leaves from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil cover the ground and the truth. In fact, it makes better habitats for reptiles who slither through them and keep making false promises and multiply in their number and obscure that which lays at the foundation of freedom. It's so far buried that they have now believed evil to be good and good to be evil. We live in that reality. It has nothing to do with truth, but there aren't two different realities. There's only the one. It is very, very painful for those of us who uh, bothered to dig through all of the layers to the bottom line truth. So in my opinion, it's going to take an acknowledgement of this fundamental base level fact to get back to a time where our reality is based in truth. All right, so let's take a U-turn because I want to point something out that I've observed. That is that, you know, when you're trying to wake people up, the hardest part is getting them to pull back that first layer. It's getting them to acknowledge the one lie, the most recent lie, let's say COVID. If they start clearing away the debris on that first level of lies, then they usually, (laughs) this has just been what I've observed, they usually become sort of addicted to going down all the rabbit holes for a while. They go into a state of shock. They're very disturbed. They feel uh, alone, although Right now, it's a better time to wake up than it was five years ago, by far. So that's one good thing. But anyway, so they become addicted. They're clearing away the debris. They're going down every rabbit hole. Their eyes are opening. They're amazed. They're amazed. They're feeling empowered. They get the truth. They get the truth. So their reality starts to hurt more. Yes, the reality that they have to exist in every day hurts a lot more. But there's something in them that keeps them going. Because truth is so powerful and freeing. Then people hit another layer of resistance. It's like an archaeological dig. Maybe you find a layer of bedrock that you didn't expect to encounter. And I think that that happens to a lot of truth seekers. Because they can 
once they can break through that first layer that the government has lied, that the media has lied, that things have been covered up, that our history isn't what we thought it was, they can go to some pretty big mind-blowing truths without much difficulty. But when they get to that, that next layer of resistance, sometimes they'll veer off to the side. They still want more truth, but they're not ready to go to the next level. So they just go sideways and maybe they start thinking some really pretty bizarre things are true. Maybe they start to start accepting some dubious evidence. But my argument is it's all to avoid the final level, the final boss of truth. And that is that the supernatural stories of the beginning of our world are probably true. That the nature of good and evil is that they are actually personages with intention, with powers that we cannot fathom. And that we are subject to a war between these forces that is very, very real, even though it's invisible. People don't want to look at that. Oh my gosh, they will look at everything else but that. Not everyone, of course. Not everyone. And a growing number of people, I think, are coming to the conclusion that there's no other explanation for this other than a supernatural one. And it might just be that crowning of all myths, so we call them, the biblical story. Until we come to grips with the fact that evil is an intentional force, good is an intentional force, then we can never, ever live in actual reality. It'll all be a, a, a certain number of layers of lies into which we have to play, which creates humiliation, which creates shame, which creates secrets, which creates lies, which creates more levels of fake reality. I'm going to stop talking now. Thanks very much for listening and being here. And go to amazingpoly.net. That's my website. Uh, you can find on the contact page there, you can find my post office box. And you can find a way to contribute financially through an online form if you'd like to do that. And above all, stay true in here. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here. Until next time, peace out. Hello, lovelies. I am so excited to announce the release of our new film called Heka. Heka looks at the magic of ancient Egypt and how that pertains to the story of ancient Egypt and fills in a whole new perspective that we have been missing collectively for hundreds of years. It features Gordon White, Chance Gardner, Joseph Patrick Farrell, Lon Milo Duquette, Tobias Churton, Graham Hancock, of course, the fabulous John Anthony West, Rupert Sheldrake, Stephen Skinner, Thomas Sheridan, Peter Mark Adams, Thomas Joseph Brown, Aton Veggie, Mog Morton, Bernardo Catstrop, Shauna Home, Mark Passio, John Zaraki, and the goddess Joanna Kujawa. I am so incredibly proud of it, and I invite you to come and have a look. You can find a link on MagicalEgypt.com.
look at ancient Egypt, because ancient Egypt was the least material paradigm of all time. And so things that do not fit within the materialist paradigm are simply rejected as immaterial. Thank you.